Um, let's see. Um, I worked out like One Punch Man the other day. That was fun. I'm confused. Do you know what One Punch Man is? Yeah, but worked out like One Punch Man? What does that mean? So I like One Punch Man. Uh, my girlfriend and I uh, watched uh, all of the second season the other weekend, a couple weekends uh-huh. ago. Um, if you're a fan of One Punch Man, if you've seen the series, it's it's kind of like a joke in the um in the series, like, how, how did he get his powers? How is he so strong? How can he beat all these monsters in one punch? And at one point, he towards the end of the first season, he finally reveals it in, like, this really dramatic way that's super underwhelming <laughs> because he, he reveals his workout regimen. He's like, it's very important. You've got to train like this every day. And they're like, what is it? Like, how do you have all these powers? It's like, first... You have to do 100 push-ups, <laughs> and then you do 100 sit-ups and 100 squats, and you run five kilometers every day, and don't skip any days, and I did this for two years, and you know, blah, blah, blah. I trained so hard, I went bald, <laughs> which, is, which is a great line. I trained so hard, I went bald. And then, of course, the other characters just lose it. Like, they get super anime mad, where like their face, their head gets huge, and the background changes, <laughs> and they're just like, that's just a standard training program. <laughs> How could you possibly get superpowers from that? Anyway. Uh, me and my girlfriend thought it would be fun to do 100 push-ups and 100 sit-ups and 100 squats. And we How? did not we did not run for five kilometers because we ain't got that kind of time. But we, <laughs> um, it was fun. It was it was both. It's both slightly harder than you expect, but also not not as you're not going to get superpowers from doing it. <laughs> well, that's that's why the uh, they got anime mad at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So, all right, Jordan, save it. How are you tying that into the topic for today? <laughs> Oh, fuck. I didn't think about that part. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. You've dug this hole and you got to get out of it now. Um, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to reset the cold open and say that, okay. uh, today's July 5th. It's the day after 4th of July. Um, we don't know how we're going to release the next couple of episodes. We might have, al- we might have already released the other one, depending on, on what we decide, but we recorded two episodes on July 4th. And this is not exactly, this is not how we planned it, but it did just kind of occur to me the other day because there was patriotic shit going on that today's topic sort of, sort of in like a weird way meshes on top of um, something vaguely related to uh, to 4th of July for those of you who are in America. Um, I guess what we're talking about today is sort of the idea of, and I use this term in a reserved way because it doesn't fit exactly in the fictional world that we're going to be talking about. But conceptually, it's kind of like nationalism. Um, if you look at the Dragon Age series, if you look at the Mass Effect series, there is this thematic issue of smaller collective versus larger collective. So in other words, humankind, the human alliance in Mass Effect versus the galactic alliances between all the different species. Ferelden and the Ferelden interests versus all of Thetis or or Lay versus all of Thetis you know Tevinter Tevinter versus all of Thetis oh we'll get into that for sure um <laughs> I think Dragon Age has a lot of it I think Dragon Age might even have yeah. a bit more um than than Mass Effect and so I thought well that's just kind of an interesting topic because it's clearly there in the source material and you have to reckon with some of these things in very um upfront ways during choices you have to make in the game and so I thought that would be a fun thing to talk about uh, as far as pros and cons for each approach Um, I mean, we can start really anywhere. Um, you can, we kind of mentioned Tevinter, so is that? Do we want to start in the Dragon Age side of things and kind of talk about maybe the most nationalistic? Is, is that is that a good way to characterize it, or is Tevinter the most um, nationalistic in the Thetis pantheon? See, I feel like that's complicated because the whole issue with the Venatori is that the Venatori are mad that most of Tevinter has gotten lazy and don't care about how good Tevinter is. 
So to Venter, uh, the Venatori have essentially are is a small group of extremely nationalistic people that want to make Venter great again. And it's like, <laughs> I'm glad you said it. I was I was so tempted to use that phrase, and I'm glad you did it. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, they decided to. Uh, rebuild to venter with a new god because their old gods weren't uh i guess literally old gods uh weren't talking anymore so that that's kind of what the venatori is um so i i i don't know if that makes to venter extremely nationalistic because of that whole sect that got pretty big or not nationalistic enough because the whole sect had to get big and is not actually part of the country officially mm, interesting you know what I mean? yeah that's a good point i in a in a weird way, I kind of almost uh, I'm trying to think of like one that's even like really like to got their shit together. Uh, I, I has I their shit for, together in what way? Like because um like Ravane, it's real. Oh, it's the Cune. What am I talking about? It's totally Cune. Uh, but uh, like Ravane is it's not. Ravane isn't so much a country like there is like a, a one government but like if you get to the like outside of the main city it's really just little villages that don't give a shit with the main uh, um, government things so I feel like that's less nationalistic because it's really just more about their village it's not about Ravane it's about wherever they live um, versus like um, Orlais is mostly like for the empire and whatnot but like the Kune totally everything is all about the Kune like the whole basis of belief and religion is about the cute and the, the canary empire so i i feel like to me that's the winner um but i, I feel like orlay also gives them a run for their money yeah i guess and so the cune is really interesting also because the cune is it's a religion but but not really but not really. So so it's not a religion. It's a philosophy plus a yes. nation plus a culture. It's everything. Yes. Uh, because they don't actually worship anything. So it's not like it's a religion. Apparently there is some sort of religion in there, but it's not. But we haven't heard anything about it. So I don't know if they just decided to put that off or what. Um, so, yeah, it's like a, like a weird. Fl- I, don't, I can't even think of like a good um, like a similar thing in like our society, but it's like a, it's a complete society. It's the whole package, you know, like er- everything minus religion, I guess all into one and you got to be devoted to it. Otherwise you're just not even a person anymore. So this is going to sound like a dumb question that I don't think is actually a dumb question, but it sounds like one. So okay. what's the name of their country then? Right? Because Parvalin is not the name of their country, but uh-huh. they have a capital city in Parvalin, right? Kunindar uh-huh. or something like that. So what's that the capital yeah. of? Just the capital Parvalin? Uh, yeah, it's. The, I mean, it's. The, I guess the capital of Parvalin, but it's. It's the, the Kuhn is so weird and sticky. Because let's let's also be honest, the Canari came from somewhere. There's a Canari homeland somewhere. Yes, and we don't know if that's also Canari, the Kossif, so mean. to speak. Well, the Kossif, the Kossif is also a weird word. The Canari are just so many like questions and yeah. around with it. Um. So like, we don't know if the Canari homeland is actually of the Kuhn, or if the Kuhn were, like, the weird stepbrothers that got kicked out, and so now, like, well, we'll just take over this thing. Yeah. Like, we, we don't actually know. Um, so things are kind of kind of interesting with the Kuhn. Um, and, and the Kuhn itself, it really just refers, like, it, it, it literally means the people. 
you know so it's in in their language it's just people yeah Kuhn is people right um so i i don't i, I don't know what the, the <laughs> what the thing they're devoted to is it's almost like it's it, it's it's nationalism but not really so much love for the country as it is love for the people like what like the the whole like your your philosophy or everything it's an oddly dogmatic oddly authoritarian populism yeah. which is which is weird because you kind of think of those things as being contrary to populism but they found a way to make it that's a you're right the cune we could we could spend the whole goddamn episode just talking about the cune in this topic because it's so fucking weird they take converts too like oh, yeah. a, a lot of times you and they're like zealotists about taking converts like a lot of times you think of, of nationalism is like you know to venter for vince kind of thing right like mm. um it's got to be all about the people that are already here but the cune is all about taking in people that are not necessarily cosseth um mm -hmm. so that's so that is so interesting that that in some sense they are they act in a way that could be considered the most nationalistic but their actual nation is kind of a fluid idea Mm-hmm. Like where, wherever wherever they are is their nation, which kind of also makes them scary because yes. like, well, our nation could be anywhere, so right. we're just gonna make it anywhere. I mean, can we just pause and say? Because I'm trying to think. I know there's there, there might be some, and I, I don't even want to get into real world analogs. But just can you think of other things in fiction that are like that? I'm sure. I always say this: fantasy is such a huge genre. I'm sure there's some novel series out there I just don't know about. That has something similar, but to me, this strikes me as being a pretty unique. Now, could we make an argument about the Borg? Okay, okay, philosophically similar, but they're they're driven by it's technologically. It's it's I feel like it's different because it's a um. I don't know. I, I feel like that's just more. It's it's trying to replicate itself in in a sort of like, I don't want to say binary, but in a very sort of um. What's the word? machine-like way it's just trying to replicate itself conceptually i think you're right you could consider it the same way i think i just might think of it slightly differently because it's driven by technology maybe see here's the thing i don't i'm not a star trek nerd <laughs> so like i don't know if there is a borg home world but i feel like you you hear about them taking over worlds and like they you know possess or whatever you do with them all the people so they're they're like it, it, you know resistance is futile they're just going to take everything they want because it's their it's what they do so I, I feel like it's maybe similar enough but like other than that i can't really think of another anything like it yeah it's pretty unique so like props to the dragon age folks for mm -hmm. for coming up with something like that mm -hmm. which um, i would love i would love to hear if they actually pitch it okay guys imagine this fantasy borg <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so before we before we like move off of the Kunari to to sort of look at some of the other examples, mm -hmm. I guess the central question, which I think we could ask with with any of these instances, is is this working and is it right? So what I mean is is it is it working in the advantage of the Kunari and is it morally correct? See, uh. That's, I guess, the real question of the Kuhn and Canari, because, like, there's a lot of people who I think even in our, sorry, I suddenly just got blasted back to the past where I'm remembering a really strange thread on Reddit where some guy was really wanting to come up with, like, a religion based off of the Kuhn. In, like, oh, like the in the real world? world? Oh, good lord. Yeah, and, like, everyone in the comments is like, what the fuck are you even on about? Oh, boy. <laughs> so, sorry, that just <laughs> came back <laughs> in my memory. Uh, okay, but, like, 
there are some people who are probably listening right now. It's like, yeah, the Kuhn doesn't sound that bad. Like I, yeah. The and the part of the Kuhn that they actually talk about in fiction is like it brings a lot of comfort, especially to people who's like they're just farmers trying to survive. Where like the Kuhn does say like, okay, well you're gonna be the farmer for the rest of your life because you are a farmer, but you'll always have a place to eat, a place to sleep. And like for a lot of people, especially in Thetis, where things are so chaotic, that can be very comforting. Um, at the same time, like how many people have you met in game that were part of the queue that was like, oh, this is the worst. <laughs> this yeah. is so bad. <laughs> get out, get out, get out, get out. <laughs> uh, so I, 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 I personally think it's the worst um, <laughs> because I can't imagine a nightmare where like, Based on what I was good at as, like, a 10-year-old, that would be my job for the rest of my life. Right. And that would be my name. That would be my whole persona. Like, right. that just seems so odd and bizarre and awful. And I, yeah, I don't, th- that, to me, that seems like a nightmare. Like, and, and, I, and I feel like that's what the cune represents to a lot of people in, in fiction. Um, at the same time, I, I, I can totally see the argument of people that, like, don't want to struggle and they just kind of want to like breeze through life. And so this being the ideal for them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you mentioned that it's comforting. I mean, like feudalism is comforting in some sense, right? Like you, you sort of, you're a serf on a noble's land. You're limited in your, uh, certainly you have no vertical mobility. That's what you're going to be for the rest of your life. And your children are going to be the same, but you can't, you also have limited vertical mobility and that you can't really fall any lower unless the noble gets overthrown. Yeah. There's that kind of comfort to it. As long as the cune is intact, you have a floor that you can't go below. Yeah. Um, even if you're the most pathetic person ever, it doesn't matter. You're still a part of the cune. You're, you're guaranteed a basic amount of whatever. Um, yeah, I would side with you in saying that it's morally wrong. The thing that I constantly come back to is Katojin and the idea that this mm-hmm. this um, person is so inherently brainwashed that they would rather set themselves on fire than just start living for themselves and make choices for themselves um, because they think they have no purpose. Um that's really interesting. It's not. It's not just that your free will is taken away by by like physical force. Like they brainwash people, and if mm-hmm. you start to get unbrainwashed, they have the um the reconditioning stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you'll get rebrainwashed. That's a really horrible idea to take away human or just whatever free agency, free will, and agency. Mm-hmm. So I would side on morally wrong, but I am very conflicted on the fact that like objectively, it is kind of working for them. I mean, yeah. like they are gaining ground. They are a force to be reckoned with. They are, they are, they are. Um, they're going too far as far as how much freedom they're taking away from people. But there is a sort of like utilitarian, um, like they function very efficiently. They are a force to be reckoned with. They are sort of like you said, spreading wherever they are. They have to sort of be dealt with. And so it's kind of scary to think that although I think inherently they're morally wrong, they're gaining traction in the world of Thetis, at least by my observation. Now, because I can already hear people commenting this, uh, I'm playing devil's advocate. Is it morally wrong if people freely give themselves to this idea, though? It's about hurting anybody, Jordan. Well, they hurt themselves. I mean, if you set yourself on fire, you hurt yourself, right? I mean, that's like... But they, they, they want to do this, Jordan. That's not hurting themselves if they want to do it, right? It's a good question. It's a very good question. It's it's absolutely a question that should be asked. I would I would posit it's a bad idea by, by my assertion, right? I'm asserting that it's a bad idea. Even if the people spreading the idea don't know that it's a bad idea, 
again, this is just my assertion. People can attack it or deconstruct it how they want. I would assert that everybody has a responsibility to understand that if the ideas that you subscribe to are bad ideas and to not spread them and to stop, you know, stop proliferating them if they're bad ideas. And so if you're spreading them, even even by even by free association, even by just convincing other people to adopt your ideas, you are harming them, right? Because ultimately they're going to harm themselves, quote unquote, because they want to, because you spread your bad idea to them. Um, now, there's a very fine line between freedom of religion, free speech. You know, people have to be able to explore ideas that someone else might think is bad, right? That's a, that's a hard balance to get to. But yeah, I would say, yeah, if it's a bad idea and you're spreading a bad idea that ultimately hurts people, you're wrong. Um, I don't, I, you know, I'm too dumb to come up with <laughs> how you, how you find a way to respect, you know, how, how do you find a way to balance that while also respecting freedom of religion and freedom of choice? It's really fucking hard, but that's why I love exploring it fictionally because, you know, I, I don't think there's very many people in the world of Thetis like saying we need to go and wipe out the Kuhn and the Kunari religion. Well, I don't know about that. Well, I guess so. I guess, I mean, like- it, all of Tevinter and then Sister Patrice, that was like her whole deal. Okay, so you're right. I guess I was thinking more like the, the rulers of Ferelden and Orlay don't have it at the top of their list. Mm-hmm. It, it's a but ten- everyone next to the, <laughs> next to the <laughs> people. And, 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 and that's not a crazy thing, right? It's a, it's a tenuous, um, not alliance, it's a tenuous situation. Like, what do we do about the Kuhn? Do we go wipe them out because they're trying to aggressively spread their way of their way of philosophy or do we kind of respect them as long as they don't attack us directly it's tough which the very end of trespasser they did try to attack them uh, directly so shit's about to hit the fan (laughs) well yeah pretty much all the dragon age media that has come out uh like around inquisition era have all been like saying hey those canary people they're coming they're coming even even Sten at the end of Origins was like, I hope I don't see you on the battlefield. What is that? What do you mean, Sten? Oh, you know, the upcoming, <laughs> oh, you know yeah. we're coming for you, right? And he's also the air shock now. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. Uh, they're coming. Um, so I, I almost feel like uh, this is kind of becoming the Kinari episode. Uh, but, uh, well, what about well, what about uh, Tevinter? How's Tevinter different? Because we kind of mentioned Tevinter is all, almost we wanted to say. And I, I have to say, coming into this, I thought we were going to be talking all about Tevinter and how they're mm-hmm. the most nationalistic. But they're kind of not, as we've established. But what about Tevinter? How are they kind of different than the Kinari? Well, I would say that Tevinter was the most nationalistic. Historically, um, And yeah. then Andraste happened. And they kind of fell off. I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was just Andraste. And Andraste was the one that kind of like catalyzed, catalyzed it. I don't know what you would say. Uh, and then everything kind of broke apart after that. So in, in the in the vague history of Thetis, um, Thetis uh, was pretty much conquered entirely. By Tevinter. You can find Tevinter ruins all over Thetis. Um, and then uh, they, you know, they, they enslaved a lot of the population that wasn't like the main Tevinters. Um, and Andraste, a slave who was of the Alamari and Ferelden, if I'm remembering correctly. This is going off of memory. I didn't study for this. So this is <laughs> a test of my knowledge. Um, she rose up from being a slave and she took her husband and they uh, essentially gathered a whole bunch of slaves and did a slave rebellion uh, and marched all the way to Minrathis. And it, uh, well, after that, um, her husband, who was jealous, Minra- or not Minrathis, uh, Maferath, and then the leader of uh, the Timitri Imperium, uh, betrayed Andraste and kind of had a truce of like, if you stop marching on Tevinter, 
um, we'll release the rest of the lands. You can split among your sons or whatever. And uh, you, but you give us Andraste so we can burn her for our people so we feel safe. Uh, and that's what happened. So um, pretty much, very after a very successful slave rebellion, Tevinter kind of splintered apart into just Tevinter, and then the rest of the lands were divided up into Mafrath's sons, which later became all the major na- nations. Um, the fact that I know this and not like actual history makes me sad. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. Let me get drink real quick. So, Tevinter, as of old, in which there's still echoes today, um, they believe they're the best city or best nation in Thetis, which they kind of are. Like, they, uh, I- at least technologically speaking, like, uh, they had the most advanced magic. They had, um, uh, like, the, the most advanced pretty much everything. And, uh, unfortunately, everything's also built on slavery. <laughs> so, uh, and I, and I, I that's I feel like what's going to be coming next for Tevinter is that we're going to have to see like okay is Tevinter going to nix the slavery thing because of the whole issue with Calpurnia like Calpurnia who survives no matter what is so against slavery everyone's kind of wondering if she's going to be leading a slave revolt to make Tevinter uh, better because in her mind because uh, I, I just did this review over like her short story that came out um, she believes that you know slaves should be treated as people uh, because, you know, she was once a slave. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I kind of, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I guess like we don't know, we don't know too much about Tevinter because I think like they're, they've made some things a bit vague so they can address it in Dragon Age 4. So I, I, I almost hate talking about Tevinter because I feel like so much is going to change in between now and when it, Dragon Age 4 actually actually released. Yeah, no, I, I mean, um, I guess I guess that is really the big thing, right? They've been historically way more conquerors than anything mm-hmm. else before. And now they, in quote unquote, recent, you could say, even though it's not that recent. Um, what's the term? Is it the- Theodosian? How do we say Thetis? The- Theodosian. Theodosian history. <laughs> they like are that. now sort of pushed back. Um, what about the Chantry into Vinter? Does that change things? Does that, does that sort of... Um, splinter them anymore because they have a different version of the chantry they've got a they've got like a reverse chantry they do yeah now i will say there has been moves from tevinter to try and retake land in the bordering countries and the chant like that's what the exalted well most of the exalted marches have been about is pushing back tevinter um so yeah so far the chantry is the only one keeping tevinter in check um and the the, kind of the the history behind that is that it was once one giant chantry and then uh, Tevinter, you know, is very magic-based, and Chantry doesn't like magic. So when the Chantry call out, like, hey, why are you having all these mages do stuff? <laughs> the Tevinter the, the, the Chantry is like, mm, fuck off, and they decide to splinter off. Uh, which, for some reason, they splintered off so much that they made, like, uh, where air is in the, the Dozian Chantry, everything is, like, run by females. The um, Tevinter Chantry, everything's run by males. Like, they just 180 completely. <laughs> Which is, is, is kind of Yeah, fun. and the I guess the big um, theological distinction is Andraste is like, you know, whatever, Bride of the Divine, etc. In the Andrastean Chantry, but in the Tevinter, the the other Chantry, it's she was just a powerful mage. Is that kind of how they see it? And that, and then that way they're um, more magic centric? You know, I I don't know about that, but uh, I will say the the one major difference is how they read the word read the term 
magic exists to serve man, not rule over him. Yeah. Um, in 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 the to to venture chantry, serve man. So the mages have to serve the people, which means they're all in power. Um, <laughs> it, where where in the the chantry, it's serve man being a servant. So it's, it's kind of how they read. Yeah. Those two lines. Andraste and Chantry is like, well, it, it exists to serve man as a way to sort of, it, that that phrase is there as a way to keep magic in check, whereas the Tevinters interpreted it as like, well, it has to serve man, so we got to be doing a bunch of magic shit. <laughs> yep. Yep. So that, that to me, that's the, the big, big difference. So I don't actually, I can't think of a time where they've talked about Andraste is just a power, like I, she was, I think, supposed to be a powerful mage, but like, I can't recall if that's one of the differences so this is one where i really like the question of um is it working for them i mean i I can as far as like well there's the two questions right is it moral is it working for them Mm -hmm. is it working for them i guess the right answer is it used to work for them and then you know the natural sort of um progress happens where if you keep trying to rule over people you get an uprising Mm-hmm. And then it stops working for you in a big, bad way so that they had their empire considerably shrunken down from all of Thetis to still a large country, but they mm-hmm. lost a lot of power. So I would say it's it's not working for them nearly as well as they thought that it was going to. Mm-hmm. So that, that I think that's what makes Calpurnia really interesting because she both wants to have no more slaves, but also make Tevinter great again. So how is she, what's her plan there? She did have a plan with Corypheus, but that fell through when she realized the truth of the situation. So what's she doing now? And <laughs> what's going to happen? So, uh, yeah, I, I almost feel like the the big decision for Dragon Age 4, minus all the solo stuff, is going to be, like, how is Tevinter going to either change its ways and be better, or try to stay fast in its ways and probably crumble? Or if it doesn't crumble, is it going to start massing out onto the other nations? Like Ravain's pretty weak. You like the, the Canary almost have <laughs> the Ravain under its control. Tevinter could probably step in pretty quickly. So you, you know, I'm. Would they like? I think the only reason Tevinter hasn't been as powerful as it has been in the past is because the Canary are constantly fighting wars with it. For some reason, the Canary go away. Tevinter's going to look at it you know, the other nations surrounding it, like the Anderfels. What even happens in the Anderfels? Fucking nothing. They might right. have to take it over. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, it, which is also the question of should you get rid of the Canari? Because then Tevinter's going to get bored. Do you, do we, do the, the other nations kind of are okay with Tevinter being busy with the Canari? Because one, then they don't have to be busy with the Canari. And then right. they don't have to be busy with Tevinter. Right. So if you get rid of the equation, then what happens? Because one of them's going to take over. You just have to choose which one. This is one of the super interesting things about politics and sort of pseudo-military strategy is what exactly what you're talking about right now, right? Like, is the enemy of my enemy my friend? Maybe not quite my friend, but they're kind of helping, mm-hmm. right? As long as these two antagonistic forces are able to antagonize each other and not the rest of Thetis, maybe you kind of want that to happen for as long as possible. but So that way you don't have to deal with one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you're right. Just just echoing what you said to mention Calpurnia. It's one of the many reasons why she's so much more interesting than Samson as an antagonist yeah. in the game is that she hits exactly on, on those two questions, right? Like, is Tevinter moral and has, is it working for them? And she's essentially saying we can make it more moral and hopefully we can make it work better also. That's a tall order. 
that's like you said, that's a real fucking tall order. But technically, at least as far as at least as far as self-interested aims are, as far as her and her country, she kind of has the right idea. She's trying to make them more moral and she's trying to make things work better for Tevinter. But also what does work better for Tevinter entail if it involves then conquering more countries? Well, how moral is that kind of a thing? But she would be for it. <laughs> like she, would. she was already f- yeah, before. She, she absolutely was. She, that's a very interesting antagonist. Somebody who has some serious flaws, but isn't like cartoon character rotten to the core. I as a, it's a really quick aside. I kind of want to defend Samson because I think Samson is actually pretty interesting. They just never actually went over it. <laughs> that's fair. There, there's a really good idea there with Samson of just like um, a workforce that has been so abused that he's willing to forego kin and country just to uh, avenge his brothers and sisters in arms. That's kind of interesting. Uh, they just never did anything with it. So uh, um, anyway. What what are I mean to talk about because the the, uh, the flip side of just talking about countries that are sort of in, in interested in their own interests um, is alliances and close alliances. I mean, what are the closest alliances in Thetis? Because Ferelden and Orlay at times ally together, at other times have tenuous. You know, well they're oh, fighting against each other. <laughs> For Ferelden and Orlay has always been bickering. Ferelden and Orlay has never gotten along. <laughs> um, uh, free marches in Orlay. Um, well, here, okay, three marches are just a bunch of city states, city states kind yeah. of like the the America of uh, of Thetis, because each city state is kind of like its own state. Um, so I feel like some city states are really in bed with Orlay, like Kirkwall in Orlay, really tight. Um, it really the only free march city we know of a lot is really Kirkwall. Um, really, they're all kind of argumentative, like Navarra and Orlay fight a lot. Um, Ravain and Antiva are pretty chill with each other, I would say. Uh, really, actually, Antiva and pretty much everybody, because there's like this whole story of, uh, oh, I'm gonna forget her name. There is, there was a queen of Antiva that wanted to make Antiva better, um, but she didn't, like, she, you, you know, Antiva's, it's really just known for its, like, wealth. That's really all it has. So what she did is that she just created a very large family and she married off, like, a whole bunch of her, her, you know, grandchildren and children off into other royal families around Thetis. So pretty much most of Thetis is connected by blood through Antiva. So no one really wants to attack Antiva because otherwise you're going to get your wife pissed at you. It's a smart move by Antiva. Mm-hmm. And so most most people are pretty okay with Antiva. Um, they, they, they will trade with Antiva. They do a lot of good things with Antiva. Um, pretty much everyone likes Antiva. Pretty much everyone also likes Orzammar because they're the only ones that can mine lyrium. Ah, uh, well, so that's pretty true. much everyone is in bed with the, the lyrium trade. So first of all, t- major props to Antiva, right? They, they, I, I think that they have to give. If we're gonna, if we're gonna again go to those two questions, is it moral and is it working? What a great strategy, right? Like it's peaceful. Mm-hmm. It's not about war. You're not necessarily stockpiling, you know, weapons or a big army to intimidate people. You're just like democratically and through diplomacy and through marriage, making yourself everyone's friend. Now, the problem with that, though, is that I do think it will eventually degrade because as the families go on long enough, I mean, you you know, the the probably the grandchildren of the, the woman who came from Antiva isn't going to be that attached to Antiva. Uh, like, right. My, my grandmother came from Italy. I don't, I, you know. <laughs> Invade no Italy. To Italy. <laughs> Invade Italy. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I can't speak Italian. I like pizza, <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh, man. Oh, real quick, before I forget, just to... um. 
uh, clarify, because again, I can probably hear someone commenting about this. I don't know if I would compare the free marches to America necessarily. All right. Just because states can't make um, international deals. Like they're That's st- true. They're still beholden to whatever the federal government. There really is no free marches uh, analogy in the real world, which is interesting because mm-hmm. um, I think that would be really interesting from a political sense if we actually did have city states. I think maybe the closest analogy you could stretch is like some of the smaller Eastern European countries that are really close mm-hmm. together but small. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But yeah, the free marches is very unique in that sense. And in, in that we don't actually have any true city states except, I don't know, the Vatican kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Vatican's weird. Anyway, have you ever been? No, have you ever been to Italy? Or no, no. I, I've actually been to Italy and been in the Vatican. It's such weird. Like, <laughs> you walk a line, like I'm in a new place. Walk another line, I'm back in Italy. Yeah, <laughs> Washington D.C. is a real weird thing too, and that it's not. Oh yeah, Washington. It's like its own thing too. It's weird. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So yeah, so Antiva I think is probably my favorite so far. Um. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to go through in detail, but just I mean I don't know like. Ferelden and Orlay kind of feel like the mainstay ones and that they're pretty balanced. They um, they have national interest, but they're not overboard about it. Or am I wrong there? Um, Orlay pr- kind of puts its finger fingers in a lot of pots and really does try to invade Navarra and Ferelden quite frequently. So I don't know about that. Uh, Ferelden is also rearing from the uh, the blight, so it's just trying to survive at this point, which I think Ferelden has been in that state for quite a while because after they... Because, you know, they were taken over by uh, Orlay not that long ago and when it's independence back. So they were trying to stabilize back into Ferelden. And after the blight, it was like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> so I feel like Ferelden's like fresh faced and which it is for at least the, the youngest country. Um, it's, it's just really trying to survive at this point, um, which makes them, I think, feel a lot more pure. So I, I would like to see like Ferelden in like maybe 200 years of stability and see how they feel then. Um, oh, you just made a great point. <laughs> now that's the american comparison right there actually yeah <laughs> start, start off pure fight against the world's greatest empire fast forward 200 years and now we're sort of the world's greatest empire <laughs> whoops my bad but i also feel like this, this is something i want to talk about um how your pc how uh your your player characters how nationalistic should they be because i feel like a lot of people went into uh, Wicked Eyes, Wicked Hearts, wanting to pick uh, anyone but Gaspard because they don't want Gaspard because he's going to um, overthrow Ferelden. Uh, but it's not like your PC's from Ferelden. We only had like Ferelden because we played um, one of, I guess, two Ferelden's in uh, Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2. So we have a strong connection to Ferelden, but our PC really doesn't. Um, so is it morally right to make Orlay weaker in that sense if uh, we just want to protect Ferelden? Is that is that morally right? Is that really our place as Inquisitor? It's a great fucking question. <clears throat> and you can say thing it says the pretty much the same thing about um, uh, the Grey Wardens. Like we, um, at, like I'll be quite honest, I put Alistair on the throne just because Anora pissed me off. That's not a really good reason to put someone on the throne. No, it's Let's not. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, and like, I wanted to be the princess because I had romance Alistair because this is my fantasy world. I could do what I want. But let's be real. If I was a real great warden, that would be the worst reason to put someone on the throne. It's pretty rough. Um, yeah. So in, in the great wardens themselves are not supposed to meddle in politics, but they do anyway. Yeah. 
that's that's a very interesting point about the Great Warden. Now, we could make the argument that the Inquisitor, I mean, the, the Inquisition is inherently a political organization, even if they try and say that they're not. Yeah. Like, they are a political and military organization, which makes the Inquisition a really weird thing. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of it sort of has this weird self-appointed justification to be involved in everything. Mm-hmm. I would make the argument that from that standpoint, not necessarily the nationalistic standpoint, and again, I fully recognize there are some there are some problems with accepting the idea that the Inquisition just has carte blanche to be meddling in all these things. It kind of does it. But if I was role playing, like, look, I am the Inquisitor at the end of the day. If I'm going to be the Inquisitor, I'm going to be a strong Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see it as doing Ferelden a favor as I see it trying to avoid war with Gaspard. Mm-hmm. Um and I know I've taken, I think I've taken pro-Gaspard positions in the past because people got mad at me if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I can, I'm just saying I can see the argument um, of saying, well, Gaspard is more likely to lead. Well, I don't know. Is he more likely to lead to war or is he just more likely to do it quicker? Celine actively doesn't want war. I don't know about Briala. Uh, but Celine, like, and her thing, like, she was she was ready to marry Kaylin to unite peace of Ferelden and Orlay. So yeah. I, I feel like she's pretty solidly not into wars. Um, Briala, I feel like is a little bit more cutthroat. At the same time, I don't know why she would do like she's more into the elves, and like Ferelden's actually pretty good to the elves. So I don't know why she'd want to fuck them over. Uh, Navarra, on the other hand, I don't know. But uh, Gaspard's ready. Like, if Ferelden's a weak link, goodbye. We're we're gonna take them over. So. so that's my that's my best that is my best shot at a moral argument for maybe opposing mm-hmm. Gaspar. It's just that he's most likely to go to war, and just in general, you might want to avoid war, especially for when it's like expansion purposes. Yeah, yeah. So, I also feel like I want to talk to Loghain because Loghain's such an interesting character in re- in regards to this topic because he is where like I I feel like there is some good in being so in love with your country you're you're willing to do anything for it and Loghain is that idea gone way way wrong um like Loghain's actually a really great character in um the the uh, which one is it stolen throne yeah the stolen throne like he he has a great arc of just not really wanting to involve himself in politics and then he just gets himself into politics because of because of Merrick and then really just devoting himself to the point of um really destroying his life kind of uh and like everything he loves for the betterment of Ferelden and Ferelden would not be where it is today were it not for his sacrifices exactly and so when you go into origins and he's willing to sacrifice everything including his son-in-law maybe even his daughter not really though that's another topic like it's totally within character I think like it's I it's Loghain's a sympathetic character because he's really just trying to defend this country that he's like gave everything for right and he really sees you and the the wardens as destroying that and like it in a way we kind of are like it's really not the warden's place to decide a crown and like yeah alistair was kind of a puppet for Eamon to try to take the throne maybe like you know it's, it's there's a lot of like compelling arguments he makes now he did a lot of wrong like selling elves into slavery and mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other stuff i'm not going to say he's he was innocent but None of like his ideas weren't that crazy. Like he he no. was a very compelling villain. I I completely agree with you, and I think I'm so glad you brought that up, and we didn't forget to bring up Loghain because he's absolutely a hero in, in the in the context of his early life. Um, mm-hmm. He helped save Ferelden, and by no means do I think that you know I, 
I didn't think of introducing this topic just to make it like a bash on the idea of national self-interest at all. Like to me, it's a really interesting idea that there are positives to that in some sense, which is why which is why I like those two questions of like, is it moral and is it working? Because there's nothing wrong with saying that you have it, uh, you have interest in your group, right? There's nothing wrong with having you know, having a sense of national pride or having a sense of like you, your family, your neighbors kind of an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so like when we look at Ferelden, Ferelden hasn't tried to actively invade, correct? Unless you want to count, um, like the the native peoples, like uh, the Avar, right? And right. The other one, sure. Chastened. Uh, but e- even then, like, uh, King Merrick and Alistair and, and Anora, they just mostly said, like, listen, we're just trying to get our own shit together. Y'all have fun. <laughs> like, they're, right. they're, they're mostly peace. Like, even Alistair visits uh, the Avar and just kind of chills with them. Like, he, they, they haven't really actively done that in a while. But, like, yeah. historically, it has been there. Right. So, yeah, you're right. At least as far as native peoples, there's sort of that element of colonialism that you can never get around anywhere, right? There's there's always people somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I would say that Ferelden, for the most part, is, again, when you're talking about national actions, it's never really possible for a giant collective to be totally moral. That's kind of impossible. Too many people, yeah. too many people yeah. in there. Um, Which is what Trespasser was about. Yeah, exactly. Um, but generally speaking, I would say that Ferelden, as you mentioned, the youngest country sort of fighting back against a lot of these larger, more established forces. Sometimes that national interest, you, you talk about Loghain as being someone who's willing to do anything to, perect, to protect Ferelden. It is working fairly well for a young country that needed to sort of defend itself. And I, and I don't think mm-hmm. that it was immoral. I think where it starts to get immoral is, like you said, fast forward further and further into the future. At what point do those same aims start to start to sort of latch on to really damaging actions, which is what you have to be careful of. But you could make the argument that strong nationalism is what saved Ferelden in its early years. It, yeah, I, I wouldn't even say you can make the argument. I think that is the argument. That like, is that what happened. That is yeah. what saved Ferelden. So, because like the like Merrick's whole arc is just learning to forego his personal pleasures in favor of his country, and that's why he has to kill. Cassie, so true. Spoiler. Uh. <laughs> well, like that. That's again like perfect example, right? Like you worded that exactly right, which is like the idea of I know it's not it's not in fashion and like in our in our modern um, society. Again, mm-hmm. I don't want to touch too much on real world analogies, but like the idea of like country before self. It's not a popular idea anymore because yeah. because rightly because rightly in a in a modern um, in a modern liberal democracy I hesitate to use that word because people only contextualize it in the in the modern day sense there was a long time where liberal just meant like not monarchies and shit just democracy that's what I mean by mm-hmm. liberal democracy I don't mean that in the specific modern day sense i just mean generally you don't mean damn liberals uh, yeah well like no i don't actual. have a, i don't have a problem either way but people get touchy so i just say that to say like the historical sense of liberal democracy that is rightly the idea that you can self-determine you're allowed to be an individualist you're allowed to care about yourself first you don't have to sacrifice your own personal aims for your country but the really to me the really awesome synergistic point is when you willfully do that Right. You willfully choose to serve your greater community rather than just yourself. And I think mm-hmm. that's sort of like the sweet spot for the positive aspects of nationalism. So anyway, you mentioning that about Merrick, right, like put the country first. That's a really that's a really important thematic. That's a really important thematic balancing. I think that exists in Dragon Age as well as Mass Effect um, to sort of counterbalance the benefits of, you know, even broader collective cooperation with with outside nations. 
Yeah, we, we have not even touched on Mass Effect yet. So th- throw throw me that uh, political Mass Effect stuff. <laughs> the politi- Well, I think a lot of it, there's a ton to, to talk about for Mass Effect 2. I think that it mirrors it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, guess the, I guess the way to start it is because Mass Effect is admittedly a human-centric story. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say that, it's like obviously it has to do with all of the different races. But Bioware has always been very upfront about saying... It is about the other races, but it is about humanity's place in the galaxy. That's why you always play a human character. It's about mm-hmm. it's about empathizing with that human experience of stepping into a wider galaxy. And um, you were mentioning something earlier. Oh, it's Tevinters, right? Like there's this mm-hmm. there's the Venatori group that's like we need to be more about you know make Tevinter great again, which which raises a question, right? Is Tevinter super nationalist because they have that smaller group, or are they not because this smaller group is sort of arising out of the assertion on their part that people have have gotten too lax on national pride well you look at something like the terra firma party or cerberus with mass effect and it's the same question is the human alliance is humanity super all about humans for humans or are they not because cerberus's claim is that they're not we've gotten too comfortable with aliens we've gotten we've gotten too much you know too many alliances with the citadel council um you know, we were just in a war with the Turians, and yet now we're kind of getting friendly with the Turians. So that sort of raises the question of: Is humanity actually super, super um, diplomatic or super cooperative with the other races, or are they not? Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is even more interesting because I think almost universally, from the from the perspective of the other species, we're totally not. We're still hard asses. We're still hard to work with. And yet in humanity, it's this question of like, well, maybe we're already getting too cooperative or maybe we're still not enough. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I just think, I don't know for, oh, that's, that's the other thing that I think is worth mentioning. Those two questions again, are, are, is it moral and is it working? There's no question that it's working for humanity. Which is the which is the really weird thing in Mass Effect, right? Like humanity has made these huge gains. Everybody talks about it in Mass Effect One and yeah. and throughout the other games. Like you guys humanity already has their own um their own embassy and like the Volus and the Elcor are still sharing one. Like, you know, the military is already becoming a huge part of the of the peacekeeping efforts by the by the Citadel Council and it's clear that the that humanity coming onto the galactic stage, right? The the first time humanity discovered the other species, it's because they started a war with the Turians. Or mm-hmm. you can argue who started it, but you know, we went to war with the Turians and then we sort of make peace, and then it's like instead of being punished in the way that maybe say the Krogan were, we were sort of welcomed into the fold very quickly. You can kind of see how the other species would be mad about that. Oh yeah. Now can I I, I can't remember that well. Is there a lot of choices where your shepherd can be like very nationalistic to like humanity or or not? Like I don't other than like talking with Ashley, I don't really remember that much. Well, the I mean the end of Mass Effect One's gotta be the big one. Because in uh, in that case you have the option to send in the Alliance fleet, which is certainly going to cause lots of human casualties and the destruction of lots of your ships, but it'll save the council or hold the fleet back. Um and don't save the Destiny Ascension, which kills the council. <laughs> And a lot of other people on their ship. I always hate how it's like, it. you're going to kill the council. You're going to kill the council and everyone on the largest capital ship ever assembled. Which is mm-hmm. thousands, probably tens of thousands of people who are on the Destiny Ascension. Um, so that's a huge one. And that 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 is a choice that people actually remember and reference in, in 2 and 3. Which is like, you chose to value human lives 
over the lives of the council and other species. And it's it's great because multiple factions remember that. If you choose to save the Destiny Ascension, there are humans, and I can't remember I can't remember which NPCs specifically, but there are humans who will say, like, you didn't look out for for the human alliance. You didn't look out for humanity. You sacrificed our people for quote unquote their people. And so mm-hmm. both both sides really remember that choice that you make. I uh, see. I actually remember that choice now that you mentioned that, and I uh, didn't choose the council because I didn't understand what I was choosing. Oh, you're Oops. not the only one. There's so many people that say that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I was getting flashbacks of like all the times like, <laughs> like you didn't save the council. I'm like, I didn't know. Yeah, it's a really weird thing. It's like send the ships in or send the ships in. This is a weird way that it's um, worded on the dialogue wheel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh man. Um. So yeah, I I would say that for humanity, it's like they are they're being a little bit hard to work with, um, and they they definitely have that sort of quote unquote national um, interest, which is odd because in a science fiction setting, it's technically it's technically globalist, right? The idea is that the human alliance is made up of all the countries on Earth, and that everyone's sort of aligned aligned together now. But yeah, it's definitely a human first interest, or at least it leans that way. But then you also make the argument that that has definitely been working. Um, to their benefit and you could also make the argument that humanity being so strong and independent kind of ends up working in the in the benefit of the entire galaxy once the reapers come around i was about to say like um, at the very least the the andromeda initiative i think was human-led right so like Mm, yeah um granted there's like that weird investor thing we don't know what that is and we'll probably never know but um (laughs) the like i feel like there's gonna be a whole new politics in Andromeda, because while there is definitely like probably still some headbutts uh, with all of the the alien races, now I feel like it's going to be Milky Way versus Andromeda. Um, the uh, Angaran, like <laughs> I feel like a lot of like a well maybe not a lot, but like there's a fair amount of like the Angara going, "Who are you? Why are you here? We don't trust outsiders for good reasons." Um, and like, granted, at the end you can kind of like unite them, but it's still kind of like sticky. I feel like. Um, at, at the same time, if we just go back to the, the Milky Way aliens, uh, like, humanity made this and it's humanity made. And, like, humanity is the only one that gets there for the most part without a hitch. Like, the other arcs that you can choose not to save, if I remember correctly, minus, I think, like, the Asari one or Solarian one. I don't remember which one. Mm-hmm. But um, you can just not save them. Like, that, you can complete the main... In my yeah. memory, you can complete the main story That's without correct. saving a bunch of them. Yeah. And... That kind of sucks. Uh, <laughs> like, if you are if you only care about humanity, you could easily just kill off all of the, or most of the, um, like, the Asari and the Krogans, you know? Yeah. Just, be, just because. Why not? Yeah. No, that's, that is true. Um, but I do feel like with Andromeda, it's a lot more buddy-buddy between all the races, right? I mean, there's, I, there's some tension agree, with yeah. the Krogan, but it gets way more united in Andromeda. Which I, in in some part, I think sucks. At yeah. Because it, it sounds um, kind of hand, not hand-holdy, but like hand-wavy. Like, oh, you know, they're all fine now. At the same time, I can kind of see it happening. Um, maybe not like immediately like how it was shown. But like if, if every, like I feel like people come together when they all have something to work on. And everyone mm-hmm. there is just trying to survive. And so they don't have time for past prejudices. Right. I, I feel like that is something that makes sense and could totally be worked out. But I feel like because they didn't even touch on it and it's not like a part of the story, um, at least not that I remember, uh, then it feels cheap. 
so like I I while I can totally it see it being like a real thing that would have happened, I I don't think they handled it well. So that's a great that's a great call out is that I don't necessarily think that it's better, at least not fictionally, right? We can argue whether or not it's better in universe, but fictionally, it just got way more boring. Yeah. Like, it just got I way think, more boring. I think it would have been a lot more interesting if you as the Pathfinder had to try and unite everyone. Like, there was an element of that with, like, the Rebels and the main base, but I think it would have been much more interesting if it was actually racially divided. Um, and, right. like, trying to recruit. And that that would make much so much more sense of, like, getting the arcs of, like, oh, sorry, who are already here. Like, of course, humanity's here to help you because, look, I just saved all of your people. Like, that Like that just makes so much sense. But no, it's actually hidden in Korra's fucking yeah. uh, side quest. Like, the only, the only reason we ended up saving the Asari arc was because Korra served with them. And right. she and she's wants, an Asari. <laughs> yeah, she wants to be an Asari. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I mean, we talked about it, right? Like, that, that granularity and that sort of... The rough edges of the Mass Effect universe got really smoothed out. I feel like Mass Effect got a lot more bland in Andromeda because AI was no longer a tough question to answer and cooperation between the species was no longer a tough question to answer. Mm-hmm. And thematically, that's a huge chunk of what the science fiction in Mass Effect is supposed to be about, is those tough questions. And they were just, as you said, hand-wavy, kind of like, no, 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 AI is your friend. No, 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 all the species are good. <laughs> And even if even if they wanted to do the hand wavy for the Milky Way races and wanted to go straight to the like things being rough with the Angaran, things weren't really that rough with the Angaran. Let's be real here. No, like we we were able to land on their planet without really incident. Like they held us up at gunpoint, but like that was like the max of it. And then the the, the Angaran were like, "Yeah, you're cool. That's fine." Uh, which yeah, you had to save the 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 whatever. Moshi or whatever yeah that was like well we also kind of dicked our way into their lives if you really think about it like we kind of showed up and you know we we helped get we helped get um the Moshi and then she was our friend and then she's kind of like everybody showed up these are my friends (laughs) pretty much and and we just kind of we just kind of forced our way in there so I that's a really good point that you kind of started us on of like the unity quote-unquote even if it was hand wavy and Andromeda and I want to touch on that with Mass Effect rather than going through one by one, because I think we kind of uh-huh. we kind of did that with Dragon Age. I want to zoom out for the macro level for Mass Effect more. Mm-hmm. There's just there's this really interesting conversation that you can have with Javik um, about the Prothean Empire, because it is an empire. It's it's undeniably an empire. He describes it in great detail about how there are sort of lesser races um, that are sort of brought into the fold, and it's all it is all utilitarian and it's all authoritarian. Javik is confused when he's looking at Shepard's struggle against the Reapers because he's gone, wait a minute, you have to you have to help the Krogans so they'll help the Turians so the Turians will help you. Like, why, do, why, why doesn't the leader just command everyone to fight the Reapers? Mm-hmm. And Shepard's like, well, that's not really how it works. Like, we kind of, we're all kind of, it's like a tenuous relationship. We kind of have alliances. Sometimes we fight with each other. We kind of have to convince each other to do stuff and Javik's like this you know this is illogical <laughs> he's like this doesn't make any sense <laughs> and and you get to as Shepard sort of remind him like yeah but your way lost like your way didn't work and ours and ours still might and it, you have to convince Javik of that because Javik really feels like well no you get everybody together under one umbrella and you just you become as united as possible and that's the best way to win but the Shepard argument the player argument that you get to make is Yes, sometimes we have a tenuous alliance. Yes, sometimes we bicker. Yes, sometimes we flat out are trying to fight each other. But having all of these distinct cultures means that we have different types of innovations. 
the Salarians are much better at this other thing. The Asari are much better at this other thing. Humans have their advantages. And we all have those advantages in a, in a sense because we're competing against each other, right? Because we don't have these super tight alliances and we know that an ally could turn into an adversary at a moment's notice. We're all sort of trying to make ourselves as strong as possible individually so that if we do have to combine forces, we actually end up stronger that way. I think that's a really strong argument um, for the quote-unquote nationalist or for the quote-unquote self-interested route, which is that you probably want that most of the time as long as everybody knows well enough to put their shit aside when it really gets real. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of... And, and I think what's what to kind of connect that to the Andromeda piece, it's also very interesting to see what happens when you unite everyone, in my opinion, too much in Andromeda because once you form one bigger group there really isn't that much care taken to not overrule the um the angara do you know what i mean yeah. like, do you know what i mean like once once the krogan and salarians and turians and humans all get together in the asari and the andromeda initiative they're just kind of like ah we'll just the helios cluster is ours now <laughs> like there's, there's no real regard for the angarans because they're at this point you're just sort of like this one giant assimilating machine where you just roll through anybody else and go like well you can join us and be and be a uh, uh, part of our big happy family. But the Moshai is very correct if you don't pick her as the ambassador. To just be like, you guys came in here and now you're running shit and you really are not regarding us at all. Mm-hmm. Which is probably one of the more interesting plot details of Mass Effect Andromeda that came in like the last five minutes and never talked about again. Right, so. right. Now I'm just imagining um, a Mass Effect Andromeda where it kind of echoed... Uh, the original series where um, the main plot of the game was, yeah, you had to find the arcs, but really just trying to unite the station of like the different races to be like, can we please stop fighting each other and work on the cat? Yeah. <laughs> that way, like the, the yeah. very end of the, um, like that, you know, the final battle where like all your friends coming back of like, Oh, here's the Asari. Here's everybody. Like, like that would have felt much more rewarding than what it did. Um, it would have been really nice. And it, it would have required a big rewrite of the game. It would have been really nice if the if the races had fa- uh, fractured before they left, so that yeah. so that it started off as a joint initiative. But the Asari got mad, so they left. The Turians got mad, so they left. The Krogan, everybody separated, and so you have all of these different initiatives going to Andromeda, and then maybe some of them ally with the Angara, but you don't want to, or you ally with the Angara, but a couple of the other ones don't want to, and you have the option to bring everyone together under a loose alliance. But it's not everyone just coming in all allied together at once, because I think you could make the argument that if the Milky Way races were more fractured, it actually would have ended up being more fair to the Angara. Yeah. Well, I think we have to re-erase uh, the, the counter of times we've rewritten Andromeda on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? We keep making it better every time. That's what I say. <laughs> it's too bad we have none of the skills to make it a reality. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Because uh, you know you know what game makers love is people with ideas. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> people who have podcasts that tell them how to remake their game. <laughs> it's so simple. Why didn't you just do this extremely complicated thing when you only yeah. had a year to make the game? Of course. <laughs> None of our great ideas would have been hard to implement. Ah, come on. <laughs> oh, come on now. You're just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's some, there's some Reddit person who doesn't know we're being sarcastic. <laughs> the, the knuckles are turning white getting ready to type in that bad review <laughs> split the veil called you guys out said you're lazy 
God, yeah, that does sound like one of those um, terrible, like, clickbait articles. Like, fan podcast calls out Bioware as being lazy. Fans react. Like, <laughs> like oh, okay, okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, um, do we have anything else uh, that we want to say wrapping up on this topic? I don't think so. Like, I feel like I feel like we exhausted everything I wanted to touch on. Uh, what about you? I don't think we ever talked about elves and dwarves as nations separately. Oh shit, you're right. Um, we didn't talk about the Cunari, but I—I th- I mean, that's not the Cunari. Well, we, no, we, we talked. No, I'm sorry. We talked about, about the Quarians. Sorry, it starts with the Q. It's yeah. got some IA in there. I got confused. Um, Quarians. We didn't talk about Quarians, but I mean, whatever. Long story short, it's not working that well for them. <laughs> they're they're yeah. really they're really separate. It would probably be better if they could find a way to integrate more. Um, but then again, they ca- they kind of save they kind of help save the galaxy because they have some tech slash resources again that no one else has because they've kept themselves separate. So I would say again, there's kind of a case for. It's rough being separate, but at the end of the day, they kind of have some unique um, talents to bring to the table because of their self-reliance. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and at least with the elves, like, I, I feel like, I, I don't know, like, there's there's a whole issue with, like, the ancient elven empire. How did that get about? But I feel like a lot of that's just speculation because we don't really know that much about the ancient elven right. empire. Um. Which yeah, I would really like to hear more about the ancient elven empire and see like what nations they had. Did were people divided by what gods they worshipped, or were they divided by something else? Who knows? Like I, I don't know. I, I just really like the elves a lot. No one else does. So <laughs> but, oh, I, uh, I think every I think people love the elves a little too much, and then there's that vocal minority that's like everybody loves the elves too much. Yeah, that's fair. Like yeah, <laughs> the the amount. Can you imagine? Because Dragon Age Inquisition at first was only pitched as a human only protagonist can you imagine like there's so many people now consider female lavellan to be like the main like that that is the canon protagonist for inquisition um and like she wasn't even originally in the original pitch of inquisition which just blows my mind anyway that's another story all right, Jordan, I think we time to end it. Where, where, where can they find you? <laughs> oh, the folks can find me at The Exalted March on YouTube, of course, and uh, under The Exalted March on Twitter and Instagram and Reddit. Uh, where can folks find you, Katie? You can find me on YouTube as Gildathon and Twitter as Gildathon, and that's pretty much only where you can contact me at this point. <laughs> so, uh, guys, with that direction, we're